Welcome to Just Us and the Climate, a podcast by the Climate Justice Coalition, where we bring climate change back down to earth and show how it's not only a crisis, but an opportunity to build a better, more just world. Good day. It is Alex Lenferner here, Secretary of the Climate Justice Coalition, and I'm very pleased to bring you a special episode of Just Us and the Climate. It's very special because it was recorded live at the Climate Justice Coalition gathering earlier this year, um, where we held a People's Tribunal to put the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy on trial for its crimes against the people of South Africa. And the tribunal was hosted by Cleopatra Obileshezi, who is a community organizer with United Front Greater Johannesburg, as well as a steering committee member of the Climate Justice Coalition. So, Without further ado, I turn you over to the People's Tribunal, hosted by Clear. The purpose of the People's Tribunal is to have different voices from all the regions in South Africa echo their frustration about the policy and practice of the Department of Minerals, Resource and Energy, which is the DMRE in short. The Climate Justice Coalition hosted this tribunal earlier this year so that um, communities affected by mining or water and electricity challenge can have an opportunity to share their grievances to the public. If you want to get involved in the coalition campaign uh, to fix the DMRE, then you can join us or visit the website, which is uprootedatmre.org. That's where you will find us. Amandla! Amandla! My name is Alex Lenferner. I am a climate justice campaigner with 350 Africa, and I'm also the secretary of the Climate Justice Coalition. And I think a lot of people are wondering, why are we putting the DMRE on trial, right? Why do we have this framing, the people of South Africa versus the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy? I think the thing is, we don't want to be putting our government on trial. We want our government to be working for us, right? That's what we want. It's not like we're out here causing fights for the sake of causing fights. We're here putting the government on trial because they do not listen to us. Year after year, we have marched and protested, and we've delivered demands. Mining-affected communities, youth, environmental justice activists, trade unionists, people across South Africa are angry. They're fed up, right? The government is not delivering for them. You know, there was a recent survey that was done of mining-affected communities about the DMRE, and one of the findings was that communities feel that the DMRE does not work for communities. It works for corporations. It works for the profit of an elite few polluting who extract wealth and, and damage the environment and leave behind toxic legacies. Promise all sorts of things. Promise jobs. Promise development. And so we of the Climate Justice Coalition, we have been protesting and demanding. And the members of the coalition, these are the people of South Africa that are demanding change, right? But what we get in response is not the energy democracy that we're demanding. We get an energy authoritarianism and we get lies and deceit from the Department of Mineral Resources and Minister Mantashe. What we get is Minister Mantashe threatening to sue us 
for daring to demand change. When we get as Minister Mantashe spreading conspiracy theories, complete fabrications and lies that we are some foreign funded forces, when in reality, this is civil society of South Africa. This is communities of South Africa standing up and demanding change. And the insults that they that they won't even respond to our demands, right? But they'll only spread lies, they'll only spread threats of lawsuits. And we know that for those that are fighting on the front lines, those threats are not just legal threats too, they are often very real physical and violent threats that end lives, right? End lives through the violence of assassination and end lives through the violence of pollution that, that comes with living on the front lines, right? So we don't put the DMRE on trial because it's a fun thing to do. We put the DMR on trial because this is a matter of life and death for so many people, right? And it's a matter of life and death for our way of living because if we do not address the climate crisis, the science is very, very clear that we will upend civilization as we know it. You know, the, the right to environment is not some neat little right that we can have maybe if we want to. If we don't have that right to a healthy environment, all the other rights crumble. And all our other political and social well-being falls with it, right? And so if we don't address the climate crisis, if we don't do what the science is saying, which is move away from fossil fuels rapidly through a just transition to renewable energy, then we undermine the very foundations of our society in the end. Minister Mantashe has talked about how the courts and the people are a big inhibitance. He had a national energy dialogue, Lee, and him and the head of the Petroleum Agency of South Africa were basically talking about how these court systems are so problematic because they block these projects. And they were talking about how we need to have something more like Angola because there the Petroleum Agency can pretty much just run over people's rights and do what they want, right? And that's the sort of energy authoritarianism we are facing, right? These are people who want to take all the power to themselves and run over communities so that they can enrich the few. And these are criminal acts that endanger our lives. And so that's why we put them on trial today, because they are killing us, because they are stealing our future. And these, even if they're not recognized as crimes yet in South Africa, they should be, because it is criminal to be doing what the DMRE is doing to its people. And so that's why we have the People's Tribunal. We have speakers from different communities and organizations from across South Africa share their experiences on how the DMRE is reluctant to engage with the communities affected by their actions or to respond to the demands of the climate campaigners for a just transition. A strong voice comes from uh, the South African Federation of Trade Unions, which is a powerful voice of labor and workers in South Africa. My name is Fedin Pedro. I am the Working Class Campaign Coordinator and Educator at SAFTU, the South African Federation of Trade Unions. SAFTU's position is clear. The climate crisis is an absolute priority for the working class. It's the working class who will face the brunt of climate catastrophe. It's the working class who will face the brunt of the effects of the climate crisis with food, water, and energy insecurity already part of their lives. We call on a socialist just transition to environmentally friendly energy generation in a way that protects 
the livelihoods of mining and energy workers and the livelihoods of communities most affected by environmental pollution. We need a rapid and just transition to a more socially owned or a completely socially owned renewable energy powered economy providing clean, safe and affordable energy for all with no worker and no community left behind. Gwedin Mintashi and the DMRD must stop blocking and inhibiting ESCOM's transition to renewable energy. We need a green new ESCOM and as SAFTU we 100% endorse that campaign. There is so much work to be done, yet we are sitting with 70% of our young people at home and the expanded definition of unemployment now means that 46.9% of people are sitting at home. When we need to refit our economy to be able to sustain our lives and sustain the planet. We must prioritize a mass employment, public sector employment or public works employment program. That provides adequate living wages, not the pittances that government is paying EPWP workers or community healthcare workers. We need people to be paid a living wage and those who are displaced workers during the transition must be given a basic income grant that can sustain their livelihoods and not just the measly 350 rand that government thinks people can survive on. No one can survive on that. We need to make sure that everybody can move in this just transition, that we save our planet and that people can survive. It's shocking to me that this is news to our government, that this is some radical demand, that we don't want our people to die and our planet to be destroyed. We argue that the path to a zero carbon economy must be based on worker control, on democratic social ownership, and the key means of production and means of subsistence must be democratically owned and controlled by workers and communities. We call on all unions and community civics and youth groups to come together to mobilize against a lack of action by our government on climate change in South Africa. And we say that everyone must add their voice to the call for just transition to renewable energy. As climate activists, we have a responsibility to bring workers on board. We can't just tell them we're going to shut down the mines, we're going to close down ESCOM, or we're going to change it. We need to bring them with us. The idea that we need to fight for either jobs or climate justice is another lie. The truth is that this is and must be a joint struggle for climate justice and for jobs. We must continue to call for a climate justice agenda that places the working class, including the poor and unemployed communities, at its center and not be fooled by the right-wing narrative by fossil fuel capitalists that climate justice is anti-worker or anti-poor. We urgently need a new democratic socialist system where production, distribution and the whole economic system is planned based on the needs of people and the environment under the democratic control of the majority.
Humanity depends on it. Amandla! Now we will hear from some of the mining affected communities in different regions and how the extractive industry, uh, specifically the mining of fossil fuels in South Africa, has impacted on these communities' life and livelihood. From damaged land, air pollution, water pollution, and poor quality air to an overburdened health system. This is Temba Kumalo, all the way from KZN. We stand here grieving as people of KwaZulu-Natal. We stand here grieving as young generation of the province of KwaZulu-Natal. The land that used to be beautiful, the valleys that used to be green and beautiful has now turned gray and dusty. The grazing land is no more for our cattle in KwaZulu-Natal because of these mining companies. So rivers and water are contaminated. That is why I'm saying I'm standing here that we are grieving as we're standing here as young generation of KwaZulu-Natal. We cannot take it this no more. That is why I'm standing here saying enough is enough to DMRE, to Mr. Gwede Mandashe and all his officials. Because they grant unlawful uh, mining permits to these mining companies, they come extract our resources, leave us with dumps and ill people. That's why we say enough is enough. We know we don't need no new call anymore now. Mabawiegomsabawetu. Mabawiegomsabawetu. I cannot, I cannot be, be talking without singing. Mabawiegomsabawetu. People are suffering in Kaizaten. Uh, people in hell call dust. People's houses are cracking because of blasting from the mine. Uh, people drink contaminated or dusty water. There is no life anymore. That's why I'm saying the life that used to be beautiful uh, has now turned uh, bad. People are, are, are getting ill. People are dying because of these mines. We're saying to, we demand uh, DMR to, to change. We demand uh, Mr. Gwede Mandashe uh, to, to find new ways of working. That is why I'm saying enough is enough. As KZN, you cannot take this anymore. Good evening to everybody. My name is Tembakangazila. I come from the Free State in Welcome. I'm a, a mining affected community and a leader of an on-ground organization called Sorakanam Africa. Uh, the Free State has been known as the food basket of the Free State and, and a lot of mines are abandoned. Most of the mines today are, are shelters for, for crime. Department of Mineral Resources, uh, Resources and Energy is hiding in a building, a private building, where it is not easily accessible. Whatever approach we have to do with them, whatever action we can do, we do outside the parameter of DMRE is. And it's a very difficult space to reach. We have known that for a long time, there's been licensing given to foreign investors. People have been coming in and out in so much that the tailings themselves that have formerly been rehabilitated and have been felled and reprocessed. And this is affecting the water quality and the air quality of the whole environment of people, in so much that it has affected the, the health of people on the ground itself. You know very much that the, 
the health system in the country is downgraded and most people that have been working on the mines have been affected by silica which is uh, that small dust the fine dust that goes to the very 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 small veins of the body system most people today are even suffering from silicosis people that even don't work on mining industry have got chest problems they've got lung related diseases because of the dust related diseases caused by these tailings. There's no consultation and any process to come to communities to say we recognize you. Instead, all the money and the social responsibility that comes for the mine goes to the LED and they decide what to do with the monies that's supposed to be belonging to people. And there's money that is supposed to be allotted to ex-mining people and that money is put in a trust and there's no disclosure, there was no consultation and people are even dying today and people are trying to access their monies in so much that they have to stay at home be sick as this. Thank you. My name is Lungisa Ngapi. Um, I'm with Extension Rebellion, Nelson Mandela Bay. Our mission or mandate is to spark and sustain a rebellion which will compel both the government and the public to take action, to halt biodiversity loss and ecosystems collapse, and to begin the much-needed process of systematically transforming our economic system to bring about a just and sustainable future for all. And carrying on in that vein, um, we in Nelson Mandela Bay, um, one of our, of our major problems is water. I would like to speak to the dangers posed by the DMRE to our marine ecosystems. Dangers presented by the core powership issue of producing energy offshore, the seismic testing done by Shell for, as the precursor to drilling for oil or gas off our coasts, and also the bunkering, the ship-to-ship the -ship oil um, refueling, which poses a danger because of the high occurrence of spillages, which has put many communities who have used the bounty of the sea to survive for generations in a precarious position in terms of biodiversity loss and the decline of life systems for themselves, their children, and ultimately for all of us. And all of this is being done just to maintain dependence on fossil fuels, which is unnecessary because we have an abundance of the sun to produce energy for us. We want the DMRE to get out of our way because they refuse to help us. Chabula mama, chabula masishayu kwede. Watinta bafazi, mbogoto. Watinta bafazi, watinti mbogoto. My name is Francine Nkosi. I'm based in the rural area of Lepalale. I'm a human rights defender champion and an activist on the ground advocating for change, just transition. I want to start with painting a picture where women and children, uh, they are doing farming. You know, they can go and fetch water freely. They can eat any fruit that they have planted in their yard freely. And no one is worried about going to buy 
mealy meal going to buy vegetables or maybe catching a chicken in the yard. Unfortunately, there comes development. This word development, it didn't develop the communities, but it destroyed communities, especially in rural areas. And now, as women, we have to suffer to access water. Where I'm staying, we have at the Midupi power station. It came there in 2007. They didn't do any skills development for communities. It found communities doing farming, used to getting their daily food from the farms. Then the development started. We used to do farming. Now we start by generating electricity. Is a development for who? Not for the community. We have communities who are still living in shacks, not having any access of water and no electricity, but whilst they are sitting next to the power station, you have to go and find wood to come and cook. Are you safe when you are a woman to go and find firewood? No, you are not safe because us as women, you need to have somebody to go with so that you can be safe. For those who are advocating for human rights, there is no security for them. People are being killed. People are being threatened if you becoming the voice of the voiceless in the communities because you will be a threat of saying you are stopping the development. Especially if you are a woman, you are a threat number one. Because how can you be a vocal woman while there are men out there? Who do you think you are? During lockdown, they realized that people are in their homes. Then that's where they, intro they gave mining companies licenses because there's no way we can do a proper community part participation and that's where licenses were given that's the number one problem that dmr is doing just giving out licenses because we have places that we need to preserve we need to save the indigenous fruits, indigenous plants, indigenous seeds, and those are fading away because DMR is giving out licenses and communities are not properly consulted. From youth groups, activities, and grassroots communities-based organization, we hear from Dynamic Voices, uh, who explain what energy poverty looks and feels like, how the DMRE has put profit before their people and what is uh, required for the resistance of new fossil fuel development. Um, I'm Gabriel Klaassen from um, the African Climate Alliance and Project 90 by 2030. What do we want? When do we want it? Now. And if we don't get it, Shut up. Shut up.
And if we don't get it, what do we want? When do we want it? Now. And if we don't get it, and if we don't get it, so I'm here today to speak about the betrayal that youth feel, not only because of the DMRE, but because of past generations. Youth have always been the voice for change in this country. Time and time again, we've seen it. We've seen it before 76, we've seen it during 76. We see it now as the climate movement is picking up a lot faster and a lot stronger. And I just find it quite hypocritical that those in power don't remember the fight that they fought for their future, for systems to change, for systems to radically transform, and are looking at us like we're crazy. We need to realize that this fight or this misunderstanding isn't because those in power don't remember the fight that they fought, but because the pockets are weighing them, the wallets are weighing them, preventing them from actually moving with us. Continuously, time and time again, putting profit before their people. Time and time again, we see that we are not, as people, at the core of development. It's big industries, it's big corporations. Time and time again, we see that the future generations to come, that my generation, that generation just before my generation, don't matter in the eyes of Gwede Mantashe, Barbara Creasy, and many others in charge of preserving and protecting our future. Not only our energy future, not only our minerals and mineral resources future, but our environmental future and our future to live in South Africa and on this planet. Time and time again, we feel the generational betrayal. At what point do they realize that we are not going to sit idly by? We've seen what happens when you put profit before people. Last year in July, we watched as South Africa had upset through those riots. We observed what happens when people after 30 years since the negotiations have not yet found solid ground to stand on. What do they think is going to happen over time? That we're going to allow them to take their fat retirement checks and relax? <laughs> no, <laughs> I hate to break it to them, but that's not how it's going to work or how it's going to happen. We need to ensure that they understand that. They refuse to meet us at our, at, at our table. I'm not saying at their table because it's, it's our table. The decisions that get made there are ours. Youth have been excluded purposefully from those tables. That's why we are calling for not only the uprootment of the system, but the uprootment of the DMRE. Last year, in September, we watched nationwide protests in front of DMRE offices. We watched as people called for radical transformative change for the department. And to the core of that was the request for system change, was the call to put people first, to stop prioritizing big corporations who have the same rights as we do, even though they're just industries, to stop 
continuing this push for fossil fuels despite the science and not only the science the lived experience showing that fossil fuels have more harm than they do have pros for people how am i as a young person and my children and children to come supposed to be optimistic about this future youth and future generations need livelihoods we need ways of building of feeding ourselves our families and ensuring that our environment is stable we need green jobs we need opportunities in renewables and alternatives we keep hearing that our voice matters and that we're superstars and i'm applauding you greta i'm applauding you ayaka and vanessa wow you're really powerful We don't care if you think we're superstars. We don't care if you think we're amazing and wow, what a radical voice. Put your money where your mouth is, put your actions where your mouth is. Because I hate to break it to you, but if we don't see change, change will see you. Ziza Rangunwala from Gauteng. Gauteng is the most populated province in South Africa. There's many people living in a very small area in Gauteng. So issues are quite amplified when it comes to um quality of water, when it comes to air pollution as well. There are rivers being polluted in Gauteng as well, and being an overpopulated area causes a big strain on the health system in Gauteng. Also there is energy scarcity. um in Gauteng that's not meeting the demands and people are finding issues with transportation people are not making a living in Gauteng going to bed hungry there's so many issues here people come here for opportunity come here for jobs but they are being killed by pollution in so many ways from the air the water food contamination issues and an overburdened public health system is causing that a lot of people are dying out here as well viva gauteng viva 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 gauteng viva siamkandu mantashe siamkanda qina mhlaluzo ngoba qina Terry from uh, the United Front affiliated through the Center for Sociological Research and Practice at UJ. It's a new center and this is our first uh, project research project and it comes from communities community organizations from Soweto Electricity Crisis Meadowlands Community Forum who approached the center and said we need this research to be done. The research took place in Soweto and other few working class areas in Gauteng in 2021. In the research we wanted to explore the current crisis of electrification and the crisis in ESCOM through the perspective of and through the experience of the black working class. We use basically the concept of energy racism to explore the crisis of uh, energy in people's homes in working class ordinary people's homes. So I'm going to be talking just about one small aspect of the the energy racism report. So just as a disclaimer, so this this data is not representative of Soweto. It's not representative of the province it's not even representative of the country but what we found is that there's a lot of research about uh, the problem of ele- electrification but it's often from a top down approach it's often from a policy approach so what this research attempts to do is get a perspective kind of from the bottom up from people's 
you know, people perspective. Firstly, um, electricity and other sources of energy are intricately wrapped up in people's household budgets. This is a Sun Valley resident. They say there is no fridge. The fridge is like a cupboard. These are the new lives that we are living here in Sun Valley. These days we are no longer buying in bulk because of power cuts. It is a disadvantage if you go back to the shops time and time again. It wastes money. So you see people's strategies of buying in bulk, which is really a livelihood strategy, have been uh, disrupted by this crisis of electrification. Then we found a dependency on grants. Now this is not new research. Uh, Research in uh, places like Soweto will tell you that many people rely on grants. But what we found interesting in the context of electricity is that people are using their grant money to buy electricity. Not only that, when electricity isn't available, if you've already spent some of your grant money on electricity and then it's no longer available because of power cuts or because of load reduction, which I'm going to get into, uh, people are using their grant money to buy things like firewood and gas and other forms of energy. And uh, these are people who get uh, disability grants, so using money on uh, electricity, people electricity, if you're a pensioner or if you're receiving a child grant. So we found that uh, to be quite uh, problematic and, and quite common in our sample. Then the final point about incomes is that uh, energy was listed among the basics of household expenditure and electricity was often a large component of the expenditure. So unlike this narrative that working class people refuse to pay for electricity or they illegally connect, people are actually saying that they spend a large amount of their income on electricity and powering their homes. We are dealing with a working class in pain. And black working class people bear the brunt of the crisis of electrification and the crisis at ESCOM. And how they do that is firstly through their labor, being exploited through their labor. We know that workers are responsible for, you know, fixing electric poles, laying down the wires, but in their communities they don't have access to safe, reliable electricity. And then also they pay for this through um, load reduction. And I'm not sure if you've heard the distinction between load shedding and load reduction. So load shedding uh, is where everyone on the grid is cut off in equal intervals because ESCOM claims, and, and we can debate this, but ESCOM claims that the grid is under strain. So they have to cut people off equally. No matter what is your income or where you live, you're going to be cut off. But load reduction, on the other hand, is where specific areas are turned off periodically. So to investigate this more, we did a Twitter analysis on ESCOM's Twitter page. And very interestingly enough, they actually very forthcoming about how they cut off poor areas. It's actually a daily announcement. So they actually plan for it a lot better than they plan for load shedding. Um, And what this Twitter analysis showed is that only black working class areas are being cut off. As much as this was sociological research, the study of society and its relationships of power and things like that, we cannot deny the psychological aspects uh, that we found here. So like I said, we're dealing with a working class in pain. People have been traumatized by being left in the dark for months at a time. People are traumatized by the fact that they have to participate in illegal connections because they have no other choice. They don't have access to safe, reliable electricity. And it affects their ability to provide food and care for their family. And this also affects people at a psychological level. Amanda! Amanda! I'm Avina Jacqueline from Groundwork, the Climate and Energy Justice Campaign Manager. We all know what we want. We want clean 
renewable energy, we want clean jobs, we want community-led processes, people-led processes. In Richards Bay, we also have, we know about the car power ships, right? They had the environmental authorization refused because of improper public participation processes. Another huge uh, project we, we were resisting is the Inseleni floating independent power plants. It's again these huge gas ships that come and they, uh, you know, they park in the harbour and then they have what they call these floating storage and regasification units. So what this actually means is that if these uh, floating power plants had the go-ahead, it would open up the door for LNG into our country. So it meant that we would have these uh, floating storage units, you would have ships bringing in LNG from other parts of the world. The other thing we are fighting is the Richards Bay Gas to Power. Okay, there's Richards Bay Gas to Power 1, 2 and 3. And again, the thing that is missing from a lot of these applications is any kind of consideration for climate change or methane gas emissions and including the assessments. So some of these old applications from like 2016 that have been resubmitted, they have not taken into account the climate change impacts. So we are resisting on the grounds that they have to do climate change impact assessments. And so they tried to actually give the approval for some of the Richards Bay gas to power plant uh, applications, but we have started to appeal that process as well. What's happening is that we're getting a lot of little ammunition, if we can call it that, because we're fighting. We're basically fighting a war of gas onslaught that's coming onto people. My name is Brandon Abdenor. I'm from the Center for Environmental Rights. I'm a climate advocacy lawyer there, and I just want to speak a little bit about this word justice that's in the name of the coalition before we come to a finding as a tribunal and what to do with that finding. So just like we need to see transformation in our energy system, our economic system, our health, our food systems, we also need to see transformation in our justice system. If we carry on with a business as usual approach, um, related to justice. In other words, find a few people guilty, punish them, take them out of the system. Nothing really changes because the system is still the same and other people will just come up and occupy those same positions. So I want to share three principles or thoughts that we can think about in relation to justice. The first two of these, very interestingly, are actually named in the IPCC's latest report which is very promising because it actually shows us that at those levels, the science and the considerations of social justice, climate justice, those linkages are starting to be made. So the first of those principles that I want to speak about is distributive justice. So that is where the harms and the benefits are distributed equally across individuals, across nations, and very importantly across generations. It is not just for one sector of society to experience all the harms while another sector experiences the benefits. At the same time, it is not just 
for the current generation to reap benefits, leaving only harm for the future generations. The second principle I'd like to speak to is procedural justice. And that is who gets to participate in decision making. How is that participation happening? Whose voices are heard? And a way that that could look more just is far more sound and solid public participation processes and involvement in decision making. Then the third principle is restorative justice. So this creates an opportunity to remedy the harms that have already happened. And if we introduce these principles into our decisions around justice, we stand a chance of changing the system. We have had a small selection of our people who call for a transformation of our economy and energy system to bring about a just transition. We don't only want to uproot the DMRE, but to uproot the extractive system that South Africa is built on and build something better, cleaner and more safer and more just. If you want to get involved in the Climate Justice Coalition campaign, to do that, just then visit uproot.dmre.org. That's where you will find us. Thank you for listening to Just Us and the Climate, a production by the Climate Justice Coalition. To find out more about the Coalition and their work to promote climate justice, visit climatejusticecoalition.org. This podcast is made possible thanks to the financial support of the Friedrich Ebert Stiftung. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.